Prior to opening scriptures this evening, it's only proper that we would humble our hearts in prayer. Our God and Father in heaven above, we are grateful that thou canst see us from thy throne. And Father, known unto thee is the reason why we are here, that we might seek thy glory through thy word and through the moving of thy spirit. Bless us to this end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As I thought about coming to camp, and when I understood that the brothers would... um, have a slot for me in the evening, I prayerfully considered what the Lord might have to say through me. And this is the way these things sort of go. As I prepared myself through setting time aside and seeking the Lord's direction, laid upon my heart of scripture. came to camp, and wouldn't you know it, the Lord gave another brother the same inspiration. And as I further considered, well, Lord, what would you have me to say? And as he gave me another direction, wouldn't you know, he moved another brother the same way. That's not unusual. That's simply the way the Lord works, to kind of keep us where he wants us, so that he can be the messenger, he can be the one that inspires, and he can be the one that speaks. And so with the Lord's help this evening, I would read, um, perhaps we'd go through several scripture passages, as the Lord would give us grace to that end. But as we are here this uh, this evening, and to consider the the theme, Arise and Shine, um, understanding that the Lord has already spoken to us in a mighty way this week. We have been called on Sunday to be the light of the world. And the Lord spoke through Brother Walter, reminded us that the light of the gospel must come from the heart. Then his brother Dan was used, and we were exhorted to say yes, Lord, yes, when God's Spirit leads us. And his brother Gib was used of the Lord, we were assured once again that our obedience to the gospel and our yieldedness to the Lord will produce a light that will make a difference. And last night, through Brother Bob, the Lord spoke to us again, reminding us that we, this assembly here, just a speck 
out of a state of humanity and of the many religious circles that exist today, God would shine through us. I believe the Lord has laid on my heart a verse in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter number 4. This chapter you will recognize as being one where a father is speaking to his child. And as there's an earthly application to that, certainly there's a spiritual one as as well. And the father is is presenting to his child uh, the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And as we go through the, the chapter... And ultimately, the, the son at the end of the chapter is exhorted to, to make a decision and to choose wisely. Verse 18, I believe, is the verse that the Lord has laid in my heart this evening. And it reads like this, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. I'm going to read that again. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. I didn't grow up with Bible study in the church. I'm thankful that we practice it now in Clovis, and it's been our means of uh, midweek, midweek gatherings for probably 15 years, um, and I thank God for that. When I began to go to Bible studies, and I was a visiting minister, and as I would sit through a Bible class on a Sunday morning and then be called upon to serve in the morning if, if I was visiting there, I was sort of at a loss for what to say. Because during the Bible class, so many different thoughts were expressed. I thought to myself, Lord, if we could just take what we've heard, wouldn't that be enough? And it sort of stymied me for a while. And understanding that even in the Old Testament times, the Lord chose to set his people aside for a week at a time, that he might give them rest from their earthly responsibility and would be able to spend time with them and to teach them and to remind them of who they were, of their spiritual identity, and they would be taught in the ways of God. Excuse me. So this evening, as we consider this verse within the framework of the theme, Arise and Shine, it is perhaps a thought, one thought, and a continuum that God is giving us this weekend, this week, excuse me, it's not a weekend, it's a week. And so the verse says, the way of the, excuse me, the, but the path of the just is as a shining light. And with the Lord's help, we want to consider this in two different contexts this evening. And the first, the first um, consideration we'll have here is to consider this verse in the light of Jesus Christ. The verse really speaks to a path, but it speaks to a path that is walked upon by a person. 
And so if we can consider some verses that perhaps refer to the Lord here and have that as our central reference point, and then perhaps we can develop um, perhaps some of the thoughts behind this verse from there. The path of the just is as a shining light. Who are the just? The Lord reminded me of some scriptures in the New Testament that identify or refer to Jesus Christ as the holy and the just one. Acts chapter 3, as Peter is, um, is, is, is preaching this message, as he's sharing the truth with the Jews, and it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, but ye denied the holy one and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. A reference to the Lord Jesus Christ as the holy one and the just. As Stephen is making his defense in chapter 7 of the same book of Acts, he says this as he speaks to the rebellious Jews in verse 52. Which of the fathers have not which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? They have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been now the betrayers and murderers. And finally, the Acts um, in chapter, excuse me, the reference in, in chapter 22 of Acts, as Ananias is speaking, as he's speaking to Paul, who, has, who is now, he's relaying his experience in chapter 22, and he says this in verse 14. <clears throat> and he's referencing now some words that Ananias was speaking. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldst know his will, and see that just one, and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth. Scriptures support that Jesus Christ is the just one, the Holy One of God, who is prophesied of in the Old Testament and manifested in the New. And he also had a path. And the Bible says in, in, in Proverbs 4.18 that the path of the just is as a shining light. And we know the Scriptures clearly identify Jesus Christ as a light. 1 John 1.5 says, This then is a message that we have heard of him, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The Lord himself said in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord himself identified himself as the light. John, in his gospel, describes the light in this way, in John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It doesn't use the word light, but it uses the word glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, qualifying the light of God. Jesus Christ is the just one that we look to as we consider this week what it means to arise and shine. He is our reference point. He is the just one. He is the one that we look to as the source of light. And he also had a path. Um, he had an earthly path. We can go back to, uh, to the book of Genesis when, 
when um, the Lord God himself was, was pronouncing the curse on the serpent, and as he spoke of, of, of the seed that would follow, both of the, of the serpent and of the woman, and it says in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. His heel. And, and the Apostle Paul in Galatians identifies this seed as being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had a path on earth. And while he was born in what we call the New Testament era, he was a fulfillment of a promise, a promise that was first implied back in Genesis, that was confirmed in Abraham, and that had its he had his path of travel through the Old Testament, ultimately being born unto a virgin named Mary, even as Isaiah prophesied of that in the seventh chapter. And it's interesting that the Lord himself refers to himself in the context of a seed, as it says in the Gospel of John, um, <clears throat> chapter 12, Verse 24 records this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat, doesn't use the word seed, but it says corn, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And, and scriptures are clear that, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, um, as he resurrected from death itself, became the, the first fruits of those who resurrected from the dead. And that doesn't end his path. But his path has been continuing since his days on earth. The Lord laid it upon my heart that I should have this reference for this particular verse this evening in Proverbs 4, where it speaks of the path of the just being as a shining light. This evening, certainly, we look to Jesus Christ as we have this entire week and his word to understand what God would have us be reminded of, of what it means to shine. Thinking for a moment of what happened to the Lord as he was crucified and he resurrected and he ascended and went back to the Father. And the Bible tells us um, as he spent time with his disciples in the 14th gospel of 14th chapter, excuse me, the gospel of John, says this. <clears throat> he spoke of the coming comforter. And it says in, in verse 14, if you, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And so as we think of the path that Jesus Christ has taken from the dawn of time, we think of Jesus Christ the person and, the prom and his promised coming, and it's difficult for us not to think of 
the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's presence, concurrent or simultaneous or together with Jesus Christ. And that is significant, isn't it, to the light. The path of the just. Let's talk about others now. When the Lord came to the earth, we know he came with a, uh, with a mission. And scriptures tell us in the book of Romans, <clears throat> in chapter 3, that God brought to earth his own righteousness and made it available through his son, Jesus Christ, for sinful mankind. And so it says in chapter 3, verse 25 of, of, of Romans, whom God has set forth, speaking of Jesus Christ now, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his, that is God's, righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that is God's, that he might be just, a reference to God, and the justifier, God working now through Jesus Christ, of him, the sinner, which believeth in Jesus. Who are the just in verse 18? Who are we this evening? Certainly for those of us who by faith have been born again and have received of God's own righteousness, the Bible declares that we are just. The Bible declares through the saving blood of Jesus Christ, God has gifted us with his own righteousness, the just. And we would like to believe this evening that that certainly applies to the Apostolic Christian Church Nazarene, of whom we are. And I guess there could be reactions to that right away. I know I did not say we're the only ones. But I'm not going to shy away from, apologize, or be sorry for that God has called me here. And I pray you're not either. This verse says that the path of the just is as a shining light. And as we think about this, as we are here this weekend, and as a call goes out to the unsaved, and there are many who are breaking down emotionally, and, and yet others who are making a decision within their mind, and still more, who are embracing that decision with their heart, even as we did, brother and sister, and as we looked to respond to the call of the gospel, something happened. When we were yet in our sinful state, and the holy and the just one, who has, who has come in his own person and left his spirit here on earth, two paths begin to converge. 
And in our sin-darkened state, when we were yet unsaved, we had no light. But as we began to look to the light, two paths began to converge. The unsaved turning to the light. And as we consider the conversion process and and, and all the things that Scripture speak to that, and we're not going to talk about that tonight, at the culmination of that experience, as as we are baptized into the death of Christ and are sealed in a separate baptismal experience with God's Holy Spirit, something happens there. The Bible tells us that as a a part of the path of the Lord himself, something happened when the fulfillment of the promised Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it says when the day of Pentecost, verse 1, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And the, and the chapter goes on. We're not going to read that tonight. When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in the day of Pentecost, there was, there was a physical sign that was given, wherein God confirmed, as the church was now being birthed or born for the first time, this birthing experience was taking place, and the church was being born. God confirmed that in this way. Where cloven tongues of fire sat and rested upon God's people. And the Lord made me think about that as being a source of light. In the absence, in the physical absence of Jesus Christ. He is no longer with us physically. We have his word. He has ascended. But he has given his spirit truly an eternal flame sent from God himself. The essence of eternal life. And we are called upon to arise and shine. How does that happen? I don't believe it's by mistake. As we go back to the Sermon on the Mount and we look at the Gospel of Matthew, and as Brother Walter was was used of the Lord to, to read from this particular text, and as we consider what we call the Beatitudes, Sort of the, the opening message, the introduction that the Lord gave to that particular, to that particular, on that particular time. And he began to speak about attributes of the heart. And he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm not going to read the promises because we don't have the time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Speaking of those that, 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 that see their sinful condition and repent for it and are sorry. Blessed are the meek. Those who will, who will do the things that God tells them to do. They have this, this, this condition of meekness within the heart. 
in spite of perhaps how that might look them, how that might make them look in the eyes of others. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. This quality of hungering and thirsting. Blessed are the merciful, how we interact with others. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. It occurs, I believe, to all of us that what the Lord is pointing out here these conditions of the heart, these aspects of the attitudes of the heart, and not just attitudes, but behavioral lifestyles beyond just the heart. Can we not say that God sees those conditions as being perfect kindling for the flame of God himself. And God knows that when he will match up that kindling, humility of spirit, meekness of heart, purity of spirit, with his eternal flame, what happens, loved ones? God gave his church cloven tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost, and from the heart of the church sprung up the light of life. So, what does it mean to arise and shine? I don't profess to be able to tell you that. But this we see, that God needs the right materials to ignite a flame in the heart of man that can burn in love for God for an eternity. What happens when the fire or the flame of holiness meets the heart of man. And there is a yieldedness on the part of God's creation. I think of what Malachi says as he spoke about the one who would refine silver in chapter 3. And as chapter, as chapter 3 speaks to, to the Lord's coming, as it prophesies of the Lord's coming, and it speaks about the refiner, and it likens the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who refines. And it says in verse 2, But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. The Lord is the light, is the source of that flame, 
And he is also a refiner. I don't believe it's, it's that new to, to everyone here, how this process works. I don't, I don't pretend to understand it because I've never seen it, but I've heard it enough to be able to rehearse it. That when a refiner wants to refine silver, he'll take it in its unrefined state and he'll place it in the fire. And as I understand it, um, that flame can either purify that silver or it can, I guess, tarnish it or ruin it in some way. I'm not sure exactly how it does that. But the one who is actually doing the the refining needs to take that piece of silver, place it in the fire, and then keep his eyes fixed on it. The whole time it's there. And gaze in it. And when he or she, whoever's doing the refining here, can see their own image as in a mirror, as in a glass, in that silver, it's time to take it out. The impurities are gone, and silver has just reached its pure state. Fire can purge impurity. And certainly, as we avail ourselves to God and as we seek Him, as we sought Him, and those of you who are still seeking Him, as you look to the Lord and as you embrace Him and His word of truth, He wants you to know that He can work on those areas of your life where you are stuck in gross sin or sin of other degree. It is the flame of God's truth that can and will purge if we allow it to. Scriptures support that as as children of God, we are called upon to be the light of the world. Um, We've made some references here already this evening, and and I thought also about where the Lord brought to my remembrance, I should say, um, the parable of the ten virgins. Each of them had their lamps. There was five wise, five foolish. And, and, and of course, we recall that, that the wise had their lamps with their vessels filled with oil. And the foolish had their lamps without the vessel. Scriptures are, are pretty consistent that as we are born again and we receive of God's Holy Spirit, that's a flame That translates itself into a spiritual fervor, into a type of life where we see ourselves sanctified to God, drawn closer to Him, seeking to to be and, 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 and by His grace to live the purity of Jesus Christ and to be separated from the influence and the stain of sin in the world. The light. Does the fire always remain a cloven tongue? The Bible tells us that as we, you know, as we feed that flame, it can grow. And this is implied to us, right? <clears throat> Think of the, of the text in, in, in Peter where it says this. It says... In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls, right? Another reference to, to what, the, what the effects 
are of God's Spirit working in our lives and His truth and His light as we yield to that in faith and as we, as we, as we receive and accept the teachings of God. There is a purification process that takes place. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart. How? Fervently. This verse speaks to a fervor. Romans says this. As the Apostle Paul was writing to the church there, to the believers there, speaking in this fashion and actually presenting the believer within the context of a burnt offering, something that we first read about in the Old Testament, where it says this in, in, in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be, tra- but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can we see what the Bible is saying? That when the Lord addresses his children, the attitudes of the heart are addressed. Our bodies are taken into consideration. The mind of the believer now belongs to God. And you know, when we bring all of this and we submit it all to the Lord. It's that perfect kindling. And it will, it will burn in a very pure, pure state. When we don't bring any of self into the mix. And as that flame continues to grow, it says here in, 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 in verse 11 that we should not be slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And we can go through and read this chapter, and we could read about all the different nuances of how God's Spirit will affect our lives when we give ourselves wholly to Him. And we don't become stingy and jealous. Something happens when we do. Something happens to that flame when we begin to hold back on God. We want to bring some of our own thinking into the teachings and lifestyle of holy living. It's kind of like throwing dirt in the fire, right? Or perhaps elements that have chemicals in them. And, and the color of that fire begins to change. It has this tinge. Maybe it starts smoking a lot. It's no longer pure. You see, it occurs to me that that flame of God's Spirit that makes us shine is in his constant state of flux, right? Either we are yielding ourselves to the Lord, and as that takes place, this fire is burning. And it's glowing. And hopefully it's increasing. Or, as we become a little bit self-centered in our ways, it's kind of like throwing something on the fire that doesn't belong there. 
And that flame begins to either smoke, it's tinged in its color, or it begins to diminish. This is the flame of God. It's not stagnant. It's dynamic. And it reflects the condition of our heart and who we are. And it occurs, I believe, to all of us that as we, as, as, it is, as it's God's spirit that is speaking to our hearts and reminding us of the need to reach out. And as we, as we consider how that might be done and how that might be improved upon and, and how that fire might be, how it might be re- reignited, our, our burden for the lost. Can't we say that the degree to which outreach exists in my personal life is probably a direct reflection of my own devotion to the Lord and my fellowship with him? Behavior modification alone won't change anything, will it? Brothers and sisters, if there are things in our lives that truly are getting in the way, you know what? I'm at the head of the line. I'm at the head of the line. But if there are things that are in our, that, that, that are in our lives that stand in the way of taking the gospel to the lost, we're not all called upon to be evangelists. But nevertheless, to speak of the love of God to our neighbor and to share with him or her God's solutions to their problems in life. And as we are aware, you know, we kind of have these low-grade headaches or fevers that are always there, kind of nagging at us sometimes. I know I should. I know I should change something here in my life. But I don't. Brothers and sisters, maybe we need to repent. And that repentance may t- might take some time. Maybe things need to change in our lives. Maybe they don't. It's not my position here to make a, bra- a blanket statement. I don't know. But it occurs to me that as we think about the path of the just being as a shining light, that the source of that shining really is God's Spirit. And the degree to which it will shine is largely dependent upon the heart of man and what proceeds forth from our heart. Can we agree on that? I think a little bit about the light that has been shown to this body of believers. I can't thank you, I can't tell you how thankful I am for it. I think about my life growing up and my exposure to the faith.
certainly very thankful for the godly parents that the Lord provided us with. And I think about the, the experiences that took place in our household and how when as children we were yet in our formative years, it was very common for us to, to know that mom and dad had believers over who would fellowship and who would share their life's experiences. And as a child, that began to build within me a foundation, something I didn't understand at that time, of an appreciation for the richness of this brotherhood. I grew, and by the grace of God, I became a child of God. And I think we all have certain expectations when we seek out our salvation, both of ourselves and probably of the church too. And some of those expectations I had were adjusted and have been adjusted, are continuing to be adjusted. And I don't know that that's any different for any of you. And here we find ourselves in 2007. And as I look back personally on my experience, and I realize that within this circle, it seems that from time to time the light, the light has become dim. We've gone through a lot of struggles. We continue to go through a lot of struggles. It's no secret, is it? There tends to be confusion amongst us sometimes. Each of us have individual concerns, and sometimes the concerns seem to be conflicting concerns. What is God's will for our life today? What is God's will for the church today? What is the solution for the challenges that we face today? Challenges of counterfeit Christianity that comes to us in, any, in every way, shape, or form. What was the message in Proverbs? The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more. Isn't that the solution? You know, arise and shine, um, we know, comes out of the text in Isaiah. And <clears throat> I don't really know how much to, to trust or believe the, uh, uh, the years that I find tacked on next to the chapters and in the Thompson Chains Reference Bible. I imagine they're somewhat... Um, accurate. I don't know that. Uh, but as I read through scriptures, um, we can understand that, that when this particular prophecy was given to arise and shine, it was given uh, in general terms in the same time frame as Manasseh, who followed in the heels of King Hezekiah. 
And we know that Manasseh was a very, very wicked man. Bringing idols um, into, the, into the courtyard there at the, uh, at the temple. Hauling in a carved image right there inside and just planting it there. He was serving everyone. The situation in Manasseh's time, and certainly for the people of God, was quite dim. And certainly there must have been a lot of troubled souls. And what was the message? Prophetic in nature, yes. But it certainly had its current day application. Arise and shine. And and the message, uh, or I should say the thought that the Lord lays in my heart this evening, as we consider where we stand today, it seems to me that perhaps the condition of the church, I'm not saying resembles Manasseh's time frame, I'm not going to tell you that, I'm not going to make some statement that's inaccurate here. But in many ways is troubling. And we know that from the signs of the times that the Lord's return isn't that far off. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom and gloom. But loved ones, I believe God gives us the same message in our day as he gave in Isaiah's day. The solution is to arise and shine. And what Solomon said to his son that the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more. In terms of a continuum, in terms of increasing in volume, I think of what it says in, um, in Peter, where it says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, in association with light there, or lack of it, is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Brother and sister, I believe the The message from the Lord is, the shine needs to increase. You know, going back to the going back to the uh, to the chapter in Matthew there about the ten the ten uh, virgins, right? Five are wise, five are foolish. The lamps of the five foolish, the Bible says, went out. Out. If you go back and you look that word up in the, the Greek means to extinguish or to quench. No more flame. That means that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that we receive is vulnerable inasmuch as it's contained within a vessel of clay. And it's a sobering thought, but we cannot wish it away. It's what the scriptures say. And it doesn't mean that we have to walk around in a panic. 
or be depressed, but it means that God calls upon us to be sober. And we are making, when we are making life-changing and molding decisions, the importance of embracing the truth of the life, the truth of the light itself, excuse me, to make those decisions with. <clears throat> I believe the Lord would encourage us this evening as he calls unto us to shine more and more, to be wise with the life he has given us, to be vigilant and to be sober. And you know, scriptures give us this this encouragement that I would like to simply read in closing. As we consider the day and age which we, are, which we live in, as we consider our needs, brother and sister, to bring, and, and those of you who are unsaved, to bring our hearts in, it, in their purest form, without any of self, to God, that he might light that flame and that it might well up a bright flame within our lives, we'll be challenged, we are challenged, but really, as the apostle wrote to the church at Rome, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may God grant us that that be the same for the church today, in 2007, and until he come. Amen.